Well, hey everyone. Amen. It's good to see everybody, and we're also really happy to say hi and welcome to all of our friends at Abingdon and Aberdeen and Edgewood and Mountain Road and online. We've got people all over the country and around the region and all over the world. Welcome. Glad you're here. It's really a privilege that we get to do this together. It really is, and it's a joy to be together with you. We have some really important things to talk about, but you know, there is an elephant in the room. You know that, right? So it's awkward. It's uh, embarrassing a little. I'm ready to talk about it if you are. Okay, yeah, I'm talking about the fact that the Minnesota Vikings got beat by the, by the Ravens last weekend. Okay, it's out there on the table. Everybody feeling good about it now? So, in fact, show you what a good sport I am. I've just decided I'm just going to, I didn't lose a bet. I just want to show you what a good sport I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear this hat right here. Okay, I'm just going to put that on right there. That's the new me right there. You all see that symbol right up there? Take a good look at it right there. You got that? Psych. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Did you think I was seriously going to wear a Ravens hat? Come on, you guys. Uh, yeah, because you can take the boy out of Minnesota, but you can't take the Minnesota out of a boy. I'm always going to be a hopeless Vikings fan, because even though they make my life miserable. It's like I can't help it. I'm like stuck. And this, this actually is the elephant in the room right there, because... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand at any of our campuses or at home, but I could. I could say, how many of you do things financially that make your life a little miserable, but you keep doing them anyway? And that's why we, that's why we need this uh, series to talk about the elephant in the room, which is just the incredible amount of financial stress and difficulty and stuff that's happening in our lives uh, because of this, we talked about that first week we handed out those candy bars, and it's a reminder that the vast majority of us, like 90% of us, are under some kind of financial crunch, or we feel like it's slipping through our butterfingers, we have no money left, we have increasing debt, or worse, we're down in the hole with some kind of lifesaver that we need right now. And, and so this, this is why we have just jumped right in as a church to this FPU, Financial Peace University whole bunch, hundreds of us are taking this course. It's real practical, based on biblical principles. It's nine weeks long. And we're hearing some great stories, and some, the huge impact is really fun to hear. People are cutting up some credit cards that needed to be cut up, and people are getting rid of some debt. People are saving some money. They started their emergency fund. They're putting some savings away. They're thinking more positively about the future and about their generosity and about where God comes into their picture. And I just love hearing that. In fact, would you do me a favor? If you um, have any kind of story like that, um, I'm going to put a, an address up on the screen just for our website. Man, I, would, I think so many of us are embarrassed uh, that, that we are where we are with our money. And if you've got a little bit of a win, doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you save something or you're not arguing as much or you look at giving a different way. If you've got one of those stories, would you just share it? We won't share it without your permission, but it's, it might really encourage someone else and it'd probably be good for you too. So, All right, now last week... Hope a lot of you were here uh, last week for that. Uh, you were, if you were one of our campuses, you were part of an experiment, which was either really brilliant or really stupid. And I guess we're going to know which it was pretty soon. Um, we we did a little we did a little thing where we were talking about the biblical truth that everything belongs to God. Remember, everything is what 
Everything is nachos, right? Your car is nachos. Your, your house is nachos, you know, your, your, your saving, your 401k is nachos. Everything is nachos because it all belongs to God. Just because it comes from God's hand, then it goes into your hand doesn't mean it belongs to you. It still belongs to God. And so we wanted to do this little experiment. And Carla and I, we have a savings account. We follow this FPU principle. And we tapped into it, and we withdrew enough money um, so that everyone who was here was handed one of these. Uh, a little crisp dollar bill as a, a, a way of demonstrating a principle. We've been studying that, that parable uh, from the teaching of Jesus where he says there was a wealthy master who gave some of his money to some of his servants and then he was going to come back and they were going to be accountable for what they did with it. And uh, I thought to myself, man, how can I help you feel the weight of that and experience the teaching of, of that basic truth? And I also feel like, you know, I'm going to stand before the Lord one day. And I feel like he's going to say, did you help the people get it? <laughs> did you teach the truth about, you know, to the people I entrusted to you, Ben, you know, about how they can trust me with what I put in their hands? And so I don't want to stammer and say, I don't know, I try, I didn't. So what we did is we, we dug into our, our savings account and we handed out these $1 bills of, can I make it clear, my money in your hand, because we thought it would be a good way to help us all feel like what that's like to be entrusted and be responsible for some money that was given to us by someone that loves you and trusts you and is counting on you to be faithful with it. And then that's exactly what the Lord does for all of us every single day, isn't it? Well, it's been really interesting. It's been an interesting week. It's been a little weird for me because I kind of imagined myself like trying to imagine what God must feel like. It's like, you know, I'm actually really curious. Like, are they going to do what I told them to do with my money? <laughs> Maybe that's how God feels sometimes. It's been interesting for a lot of you. I've heard from a lot of you. I got some interesting emails and texts and pictures, like the money in exotic places, like, you know, traveling around. It's on your fridge. It's on your dashboard and some other places I can't repeat here. But um, <laughs> one guy said, uh, I, um, I bet your dollar on the Vikings, and I lost it. So he says, I owe him 10 bucks. Um, <laughs> I, I hope all of us learned a little something, and most of all, I hope you all return my dollar. This is my savings account, right? You're going to have an emergency fund problem here with the Kateras. So I think there's little buckets at every campus that say, Ben's Bucks. I don't want you to put more in than a dollar. It's not a fundraiser. I don't want you to put it on the offering. It's my money. But hopefully, we can all say, you know, Casey is a relatively new Christian. Yeah, he was invited uh, to come, you know, to go to church a, a couple years ago, and he's walking with the Lord now, and he loves it, and he said, I just learned so much about what it must be like to, to be entrusted and to really remember everything I have as God's and what it's like to operate under God's principles, and I hope we all got something like that out of it, and um, now, uh, about the FPU courses, you, you really got to take the course to, to get the depth of of application to your particular situation. So if you're in those courses, I know you're getting that, and that, that's great. And if you missed it and you're like, dang, I, I wish I kind of had done it now, we knew that would happen, and so we're going to run another one early 22, all right? So you can jump in. I hope that you do because it will change your life. The reason it will change your life is it's based on biblical principles that are just plain true. Well, what I want to do is just take a couple minutes, and for all of you that aren't in the course, just kind of show you the biblical principles, and, and then there are actually seven kind of what they call baby steps, because you got to eat an elephant one bite at a time. There's like baby steps that every one of us, regardless of our income level, can, can take. So first of all, 
these five principles. The first principle of FPU is basically trust God completely. Like, at a gut level, we got to decide if we trust Visa or God. We got to decide, we got to stop looking for money to do for us, provide for us, take care of us in ways that really only God can. Number two, um, we got to save money consistently. This is the discipline that makes a difference. If you save some money, you're going to be weird because normal people in this country don't do that. Normal people in this country are busted and broke. Number three, recognize that God owns everything. Once you recognize that it's nachos, man, you, can, you have the gateways open to contentment, to greater levels of peace, to greater levels of feeling gratitude. And you're rescued from so much of the life-sucking stress of greed-driven materialism that normal people have. Number four, embrace our God-given mission. That's a money issue. Money's very spiritual in that sense. The, the point here is that the goal is not to be like a cistern that has stuff flowing into it and just collect it as if the point was to gather up money for yourself, but rather to be more like a mountain lake that's deep and rich and pure but has streams and tributaries flowing out of it to bless other people. Which are you like, the cistern or the lake? We're called to make a difference in God's world according to stuff he cares about. You're not here to only do in the world what you care about. The goal is that God would shape our hearts so we care about what he cares about. And then you use some of the money he puts of his in your hands to do some of the stuff he cares about. And number five, the final principle, commit to lifelong generosity. You're never more like God than when you're generous. Okay, You're just never more like God than when you're generous. And so when you commit and you realize how much joy it brings, you're going to do it for the rest of your life. You're going to be generous toward God, toward, your church, toward his church, toward other people, toward the needs around you, and all of that stuff. And then once we get those principles kind of in our gut, in our head, right, well, then the question becomes, well, how do we sort of take baby steps toward pulling it off? Like, what are some lead measures I can put into my life that will lead to those outcomes, well, that's where the seven baby steps, I'll fly through these real quick. Number one, the first baby step is to save a thousand bucks for an emergency fund. It sounds easy for some, it sounds impossible for others, but dozens and dozens in this church have been doing that in recent weeks. Uh, singles, uh, uh, married couples, families, young people, old people on fixed income, it's great to hear. And then that creates margin. Number two, pay off all non-mortgage debt as fast as you can using a debt snowball. Get rid of the debt. That's the next thing. And the debt snowball is simply a tool where you go after the smallest debt first. And then you, and when that's paid off, you take that and you roll it up with whatever else you can into the next smallest debt. And then it rolls and keeps going like that until you have all of that debt paid for and you have a big celebration, a party at the end of that. Baby step number three, put aside like three to six months of expenses into savings. Again, sounds, oh, I could do that to some. It sounds I could never do that to others. But one step at a time, you can eat this elephant. Can you imagine the peace of having three to six months of savings, of living expenses? Well, the answer is 76% of Americans can't imagine it because 76% of us have zero in savings or almost nothing and are living paycheck to paycheck. Step four, invest 15% 
of your income. In other words, it comes in, we're going to start saving 15% of it to things like Roth IRAs and pre-tax retirements. That may be not the step you're at right now, but it needs to be on the radar. You know, in Ireland, the people there save about 19.3% of their income. In France, it's about 16%. In Spain, it's about 13%. Anybody want to guess what the personal savings rate in the United States is? 5%. Okay, so we're way, we're way, down, way down the pipe. Not so good. Susie Orman says 85% of Americans live, have less than 10000 in savings, and about a third of us have absolutely nothing. So I'm so excited that I'm part of a church that, like, it says there's principles that God teaches about this, and, and we're putting them into practice, and we're changing those numbers. I'm glad for that, to create some margin. When you get that margin, then you can go on to baby step number five, which is, like, think about college funding for your kids or someone else's. And number six, you can pay off your home early. Right? If you own a home or have a mortgage, you go after that sucker and you start getting it done. I, I, I heard about a guy who said, my dad taught me to get my house paid off by age 50. When I heard him say that, I was like, dang, I wish I had thought of that. Because he's 50 and he's putting everything he's got toward retirement. And I'm like trudging up the hill paying for a house. So yeah, number seven, build wealth and give. That's the last baby step. And some friends, when we hear this, we think, gosh, I, I just, that's so far out of reach. And, or maybe I will do some of these steps or that last step when I, you know, when something changes, when I have people, it's for people who are richer than me. If you're telling yourself that these steps are not for you because of X, Y, or Z, you're probably lying to yourself. I'm just straight up telling you the truth. You're probably lying. Have you, have you heard about this amazing woman by the name of uh, she's from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and her name is Ms. Oziola McCarty. You ever heard that name? She's just an amazing woman who took God at his word and followed these baby steps one at a time over a long period of time. She um, had to drop out of school after fifth grade because um, she had to take care of her mother and her aunt who lived at home with her. And they all ran this laundry business out of the home. Well, then her aunt dies, and she picks up that slack. Well, then her mother dies, and she carries on the laundry business. But along the way, she saved as best she could according to the principles she understood from the Bible. And then she was generous, and it garnered quite a bit of attention. In fact, she received an honorary doctorate from Harvard University and from Southern Mississippi University. She was presented the Presidential Citizens Medal, which is the nation's second highest civilian award by the President of the United States at a special ceremony in the White House. She um, won the United Nations coveted Avicenna, a medal for educational commitment. She won Mississippi's Citizen of the Century Award and scores of other recognitions and honors just because she was weird enough to do what the Bible says all of us should do. Here's Osceola McCarty sitting in a chair with that laundry in the background, something she did every day for 75 years. And then she was able to save some that allowed her to make the single largest donation in the history of Southern Mississippi University by an African-American. And her example is what Ted Turner said inspired him to give a billion dollars to charity. And she was able to do all that because she learned at her church the principle we're going to talk about just for a few minutes right now. And it's this, save consistently. Save consistently. Will you say that with me, everybody? At home, on the campuses, here we go, say it together. Just save consistently. 
She never learned to drive or even owned a car. She lived in the same house her dad, uh, her grandfather provided for her, her every day of her life. She walked to her church. She walked to the store. She walked to the bank where she saved her money. And she saved a little bit at a time and had hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash at the end of this whole thing. And then she gave a huge percent to her church and then to her cousins and started a a scholarship fund for African-American students because she couldn't go to college and she wanted someone else to have the privilege of doing that. And she did all that because she saved consistently. She was not educated. I'm telling you what, that woman was wise, wasn't she? She was a wise woman. She understood what it's like um, to follow biblical principles. I love what she said in an interview. She said, there's a lot of talk about self-esteem these days, she says. It seems pretty basic to me. If you want to feel proud of yourself, you've got to do things you can be proud of. <laughs> Feelings follow actions. This is a wise woman. And I, and, and I love that because she latched onto some principles that helped her not make a big splash fast. That's what we like to do. But she made, she saved consistently over a period of time. And that allowed her to be proud of herself. And I thank God to be proud of her too. And each of us needs to decide at the end of the day if we're really going to latch onto the principles that are in God's word about money or not. We've already decided that by how we live. What we're hoping this series does is actually shake us up enough to say maybe I should rethink some of the principles I actually live my life by. And these biblical principles, I'm telling you, they're true and they work, and they're wise. They're weird. Nobody does them, it seems like, but they're wonderful. And you got to decide, because when you have principles, they will guide you through all kinds of times. When you have principles that you trust and you actually believe, then you live by them when things are easy, and you live by them when things are hard. Right, that's what a principle and latching onto it and trusting God actually does. Don't compromise your beliefs just because it's hard to be faithful, right? Right? Okay. When you do, God's principles can guide you through the good times and the hard times. And let's face it, there is such a thing as hard times and good times, right? Or good times and hard times, right? There is such a thing. Think, economically, this is certainly true. We've lived through periods. If you've been around 10 or 15 years at all, you know we've seen it. There's been economic booms. There's been economic busts. We've had unemployment rise. We've had economics, you know, un- unemployment fall. We've had layoffs. We've had businesses thriving and diving. Just in the last few years, just look at what COVID's done. We've seen gas prices go to four bucks and then down and then back up, and then it'll go back down again. The real estate market. Hit, hit the bottom, you know, in 2008, and now it's soaring. It's going crazy right now. The stock market is diving and then soaring and up and down. Reminds me of the guy who he was heavily invested in the stock market. And uh, there was really a big downturn in the market. And his broker asked him, you know, I'm kind of worried about you. Are you okay? You sleeping at night? He says, oh, I'm sleeping like a baby. He says, oh, you are? Sleeping pretty good, huh? He said, no. He said, I'm sleeping like a baby. I, cry, I sleep for an hour and then I cry. <laughs> so, I mean, friends, here's the thing. You latch onto the right principles... You don't have to sleep for an hour and cry because you trust God. doesn't mean you're going to have all the money you ever wanted, but you're going to have all you ever need, and you can trust that these principles work. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible or Bible app or, you know, whatever, a lot of us find it on our phones or whatever, um, look at Genesis chapter 41. I want, you to, I want to take you through a, a story here. 
um, that shows us how the wisdom of God when it comes to money really does work in good times and bad and how saving consistently makes all the difference, okay? In Genesis 41, it's the story of Joseph and it's a story about how the Egyptian empire got, was, was saved through an economic hurricane simply because one man knew these principles. Um, if you know the story of Joseph, um, you know, there was a movie about it. He's the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, right? If you remember the backstory, he's got a lot of brothers and they all can't stand him because he's daddy's favorite. And so one day they finally had enough and they kidnap him and take him out in the wilderness and they uh, sell him off to some Egyptian slave traders that are passing through. They take his coat, they put some goat blood on it, and they say, here, Daddy, little, little Joe is dead. They think that's the end of it. Joseph is moved off all the way over, carted off into slavery in Egypt. But this is, this is, kind, of a, this is kind of a reminder, this whole story, that sometimes... So jo Joseph was in this promise of God to to save the world, and he knew it. But there were many times in his life when it didn't look like that. And that's when you've got to decide who you trust and whether you trust in God's promises and are willing to put his principles into practice, even when it doesn't look like you want it to look. And so this is Joseph. He's over there in a bad place. Well, then he gets some breaks, and he gets promoted, and things go good, but then he goes bad, goes bad again. This is life, right? Lives are full of up and down. He gets framed by this woman who wants to make it look like she was he was trying to have an affair with her. It was all a lie, but these trumped-up charges go against him. He gets thrown in jail where he's sitting and rotting when we catch up to him here in chapter 41. Now, the king of the entire Egyptian empire called Pharaoh has this really bad dream. He doesn't know what to make of it. He knows it's important and it's supposed to tell him something, but he doesn't know what. So he tries to get everyone to help him interpret the dream. No one can do it until someone says, hey, there's this guy, Joseph, who's over there in prison. He has a special connection to God, and he's really good at um, interpreting dreams. So they call in Joseph, and Joseph says, tell me your dream. And Pharaoh says, well, it was horrible, you know. I, I've got this nightmare where, where I've had this seven fat healthy cows are standing there and then all of a sudden these seven scrawny sickling skin and bones cows come by and eat them alive yeah, it gives me the chills what does it mean and joseph says pharaoh i think god's trying to tell you something he says the seven scrawny cows you know, he starts with the fat cows. The seven fat cows represent seven years of success and financial abundance and plentifulness in your, in your country. Seven years of economic plenty. And the seven scrawny cows that come to eat them mean that seven years after the seven years of plenty, there are going to be seven years of economic hardship. There are going to be a serious downturn for seven years. There's going to be a recession, a depression, a financial disaster, absolute famine. And Pharaoh is so grateful for the heads up that he takes Joseph out of prison, promotes him to the second highest in command in the whole Egyptian empire. And he says, Joseph, I want you to come up with a financial plan. I'm so impressed with how you understand God's principles of finances. I want to put you in charge of all of Egypt to prepare us for those seven years of hard times. And Joseph trusts God so completely, he says, absolutely, I'll do that. 
And he puts into practice this saving consistently principle where you, in times of plenty, prepare for times that aren't so plentiful. Genesis 41, verse 47. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. There are times in life like that, right? So Joseph collected. That's a savings word. He collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored. That's a savings word. He stored it. Okay? So this is the idea. Gather this stuff up. If you read the rest of this chapter, what you realize is that Joseph put a number on it, and the number was 20%. He didn't just say, you know what? I ought to get around to saving someday. I can't tell you how many times I've thought that. Guess how much money that saves? Zero. But when you put a number on it and you say, I'm going to try to do this or that, and then you, you work the plan because you trust God that it's the right thing and it's going to somehow bless and work out, well, that's what he did. And he put the number 20%, which is not only radical, it was very wise. 20% for seven years they set it aside. So what can we learn from this today? Number one, um, how about this? Whenever you're making some money, be sure to try to save some. <laughs> this sounds kind of like 101, doesn't it? But guess what? It's weird because almost nobody is doing it. The data don't lie. When you're making some money, save some. It's what Joseph told Pharaoh. Hey, the economy is going to be booming. We've got seven good years, and what we need to do in that moment is save, 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 because I can guarantee you the king had advisors who were saying, look what, this is awesome. We should be conquering, investing, and we should be buying. We should be spreading during this time of plenty. That's what we all want to do. That's what most of us tend to want to do. If we ever get any money in our hands, we want to what? Spend it. If it looks like, oh, I got all this stuff coming in. And who says, oh, great, I'm going to save it all? Very few of us do. And then when we don't have any more money coming in, that's when money is low, and then we don't have it in the lean times because we didn't save it in the good times. The problem is we never tend to think of ourselves as being in the good times because we always think, well, that's when I'm going to make more money than I am right now. So maybe later, but right now i got to have this jacket or this new set of cabinets. And that's how it tends to work. It's when times are good when you have any amount of money coming in, that we can do whatever we can to save something. Try to save something. The other thing to note here is that our personal finances are just like it was in Egypt and just like it is in the U.S., economic uh, up and down, and our personal finances are the same way, aren't they? They really are. I was at an event here at Mountain not long ago, and one of the Mountain guys made the comment that, that he'd lost his job, and it had been a little while. And so we were praying for him and checked back in with him, and I was kind of, I noted how he wasn't rattled at all. He wasn't, like, stressed. No panic about it. He was calm about it. I said, well, are you concerned about losing your house or anything like that? He says, no, because, you know, a long time ago, God put it on our hearts. We felt like it was a biblical principle to save some stuff. And we were diligent about doing that, so we put aside enough so we could make it a year before the house payment would become a problem. I was so impressed with that and convicted to buckle down myself because it's a real-life example of the principle we're talking about. And you can be like that guy, and you can have financial peace, even in a difficult time, but not if you don't save during a good time. So how are you doing on this? Are you putting something away? Because remember, our money is not like a badly behaved dog that just runs and does whatever it wants to do. It goes wherever you put it and you tell it to stay, it'll stay there. So even if you put just what Ms. Osceola did and put just a nickel 
it's going to stay. And it'll add up if you put another nickel and then off you go. This is why we talk about the 10-10-80 principle at Mountain a lot. Because it's a reminder that your money goes where you put it. You tell it to stay, it'll stay. So you take some of God's money and you do the 10-10-80 principle. And the 10-10-80 plan is real easy. 10% is a tithe. 10%, whatever you make, whatever comes in, you get it out of your hand, back into God's where it belongs. You give it to his church and, you bless, and he will bless you back. 10% is savings. And then that's, that's, you, know, you get that emergency fund set up and then 10% at least Get it into savings, 10% at least, and then you'll have some resources, and then 80% what you live on. You don't just start living on whatever you want to live on and then realize you got nothing left to save or to give to God. This is the wisdom of God. Verse 49, verse 49 says, Joseph stored up quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. Doesn't it sound, wouldn't it sound great to have that kind of, yeah, I've got some savings, how much? Well, about as much as the sand of the sea. That would be pretty cool. And then there were seven years of financial good times, and They've got bumper crops every year, and they were wise enough to save for the bad times. So if you're in a time of prosperity, my friend, it's not the time to spend, spend, spend. It's the time to what? Save, save, save. Yep. And you don't have to be raking it in like Joseph. You could be raking it in like Osceola McCarty, a little bit at a time. Can I share, can I share a scripture some of you are going to want to screenshot and put on your fridge? Proverbs 21, verse 20. Here it is. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Don't you love it that the Bible can just call us stupid when we act stupid? But a wise person saves for the future. I, I, I want to be done being stupid. We've all been stupid. Our, our problem is a discipline problem, a priority problem. Some call it a Buffett problem. Too much Jimmy, not enough Warren. Right? Too much wasting away in Margaritaville, not enough investing and saving. Right? Americans are spending more than they make these days, and that is a problem. So, anybody else feel like Proverbs 23, verse 5, your money can be gone in a flash? You ever, ever had that? It's like, where did it go? It's like it had wings. Like, it's gone. It was here it was yesterday. It's gone. Flies away. It's like, how does that happen? Because there are good times and there are bad times, and the good times you prepare for the bad times. Dave Ramsey reminds us. It's about a decision. If you, he says this, if you're, this is, this is the only the way, way that Dave Ramsey can talk. He says, if your doctor told you that your, your child was dying and could only be saved with a $15,000 operation that your insurance won't cover and could only be performed nine months from today, could you save that $15,000? And the answer is absolutely we could. Every one of us could. We would sell whatever we had, we would do whatever we needed to. We'd stop spending money on anything except what it took to survive. We'd take as many jobs as it took. For that short nine months, you'd, becoming, uh, you'd become a saving madman or madwoman. You would give up virtually everything to accomplish that goal because it would finally become what? A priority. You'd have focused emotion on it. It would become a priority. And when you take that and you focus it and harness that emotion, then you can, make, you can move yourself to the top of your creditor list, he says. Then ask yourself, which bill is the most important? After tithing, who should I pay first this month? The answer is yourself, you. Until you pay God first, and then yourself, and then everyone else and everything else, you'll never save money. That's the wisdom of Dave Ramsey. All right. First thing, when you're making some money, save some. Second, let me just touch on a couple other things. In, in the following verses, we'll put the words on the screen. I'm not going to take time to read through it. But verses 53 to 57 says that the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. It always comes to an end, doesn't it? 
okay? Right? It always comes in. And guess what happens? Seven years of famine. Every one of us, 78% of us, every 10 years, uh, Money Magazine says, will hit some kind of a crisis. It's going to be, you know, a medical thing. It's going to be a divorce. It's going to be something that could wreck you if you're not ready. Joseph, in verse 56, opened the storehouses of, and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout. And the countries came to Egypt to buy grain because there was famine all over the world. Here's the second principle. When you need your savings, use it. I know this sounds really basic, but the people who sometimes are best at savings don't get why we save. They just put it away and leave it there forever and ever and ever like it's some kind of thing. How many of you, when you had Halloween candy, um, would eat the candy right away? Like gobble, 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 you you only have half of it when you got home or it wouldn't make it past November too. How many of you that way? All the campuses, raise your hand. Let's see. Yep. You're the eaters. How many of you are the the hoarders and the savers? Like you were just like, keep it from your sister, put it in a thing, go ahead and let it rot and get stale because you'd rather have it and save it than eat it. Is that you? Anybody? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, There's a difference between a saver and a hoarder, okay? Hoarding is not not the goal, okay? Um, The goal is not to just stack your money and, and, uh, you know, where you can't bear to use it even for noble causes. Proverbs 6 is the key here. It says this, Proverbs 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. You can become wise by looking at an ant because God has built this principle into the fabric of the universe. Even ants practice this. They don't have someone telling them what to do. They have no prince or governor or ruler to make them go to work. Yet, what do they do? They labor hard all summer and save what they make. They gather food. Why? Because they know winter is coming. We can at least be as smart as an ant. You will never find an ant depressed and stressed and worried in the middle of winter like, oh no, I might run out because they never do. And when they do, spring comes and they know God provides for them. One last thought. Verse 57 reminds us that people came from all over the world, and Joseph was able, prepared, and ready not just to take care of his own, us four no more. No. They provided and were generous and helped many, many others. Why? Because they had saved when they had plenty. They were able to do a compassionate good thing. They were able to to be how God would want all of us to be because They had saved consistently when they could. Godly people are called to do the same. Just like they opened the supplies of Egypt. And, interestingly enough, God used that generosity to literally protect the family that would bring Jesus into the world. Because one person practiced these principles. So when you're making money, save some. If you have it, don't be afraid to use it. And number three, when you see a real need, be generous. Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you a generous person? Remember, generosity has absolutely nothing to do with how much you make or have. So are you a generous person? Would people who know you best, who know what you make and what you give and share, would they say you're generous? How about God? How about God who knows your heart and who has been so generous to you and sees your books? Would he rejoice in your spirit of generosity or is there more growing to do in that area in your life? Because we're never more like Jesus than when we are generous. So 
I love how this is such a big part of the Bible. The Old Testament, they're told to leave some of their crops behind so the under-resourced people can get it. The early church, they sold their resources and made sure no one had a need and everyone was taken care of. They brought the money, brought it to the apostles' feet. Why? Because generosity is a good thing. So, so here's the thing. Around here, we want to apply these principles. I'm going to give you a great opportunity to apply the generosity principle um, coming up right now. As, as you t- kind of take the saving principle, the generosity principle, and the planning principle, which is all part of FPU, I hope you'll put all those together and practice it over the next few weeks at Mountain because we have an opportunity to do something together, frankly, that none of us can do by ourselves for God because we can combine our resources to do something really, really beautiful. And we're calling it um, our, our Christmas Thrill of Hope or December Thrill of Hope offering. And uh, so many of you are doing so many really generous things already. So, for example, you've noticed we've been plopping these things out there, and y'all are snatching them up, and it's beautiful. Operation Christmas Child, all these boxes are coming back. You're going to take care of kids and make sure they have a good Christmas. I love it. And some of you are doing Gabriel's Gifts, a powerful way to help kids right here whose parents are incarcerated at Hartford County Detention Center. Way to go. You can grab one of those today. And how about Star Kids, Extreme Family Outreach. These are kids all up and down the Route 40 corridor. They need our help. They need our love. They need our gifts. And you can give them a great Christmas. You can pick up a Star Kid today. All right? And you can sponsor a child through Missions of Hope International in Kenya and bring to that child education and health care and food and, most importantly, hope that they would not have by sponsoring a child for a few bucks a month. Awesome. These are amazing opportunities to be generous. I know about a men's group that is giving away a bunch of turkeys and, 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 and delivering those on Thanksgiving. And I know of so many acts in this church that are just beautifully generous. And uh, I, I, that's what we've been doing all through October and November. But I want to tell you about some right now because I think planning and praying and preparing for generosity is important. So I want to tell you right now, this Christmas thing in, in, in December, our Thrill of Hope offering is going to bring hope, especially to three targeted areas. I'll tell you what they are real quick. Number one, we're going to bring hope through the epicenter. Right here in our backyard, they're doing so much good to bring hope, we're going to give a special gift to them through our offering. Number two, we can do something for this church called Hope Baltimore, downtown Baltimore. Uh, if you remember, Josh Simonette was here, and he spoke a few months ago. Amazing church, but they need our help. They need a boost right now. Okay, they just started a few months ago. And number three, we're going to do something for Missions of Hope in Kenya, we'll give a special gift to help their camp for kids that they're doing right now, and it's going to bring a lot of hope. So the end of the year generosity is super important. It's going to be a it's going to mean a it's going to have huge implications for our church, for the future of our ministry, and it's going to have huge implications for those ministries and the people that it benefits. And if you think I'm supposed to feel bad or embarrassed for asking you to step up and be generous, you don't get it. Cuz I'm not embarrassed at all cuz I know these principles are true and they're real and they work. And I'm excited to give you that opportunity. And I know some of you are just like excited, I can't wait to give, and others are like, "Oh, how am I going to scrape it together?" but Just be at ease, do the principles as best you can, do whatever God enables and leads you to do, and it's all going to be okay. So pray, plan, prepare for what you might be able to do in that regard, and that'll be a beautiful way to bring some of our elephant in the room to a close. I want to share with you one thing to close here. You've seen these things up here as I've been speaking. They're symbols that are are used in um, a Jewish observation called Havdalah. Havdalah. In the time of Joseph, they would have practiced this. the time of Jesus, they would have, and they still do today. And it was a way of bringing Sabbath to a close. They would light a candle as a way to mark the end of Sabbath rest. It was the first fire of the week to symbolize it's about time to go back to work 
and start providing for our family again. And then they had these beautiful spices. They were sweet, and they, they were uh, to remind them to, to carry the sweetness of the Sabbath throughout their work week as they were working to provide for their families. And then they had this wine or grape juice that they used to symbolize God's provision in their life. And they would put it into a cup to represent how they all wanted a full cup and were so blessed by God. It's a beautiful thing. They'd stand in a circle, look in each other's eyes. Maybe you want to do this in your family. Look in each other's eyes. They'd light the candle and pray prayers of blessing over each other. They would smell the sweet spices. And then they would pour the wine. And that wine symbolized how God would provide for our family. But as they poured it, they did something interesting. They would pour it out, representing how they just knew that God was going to provide for them the generosity that he had given them. But then they would just keep pouring they all wanted a full cup, and then they kept pouring right over the top to remind them all that God had given them not only so much, but had given them extra out of the overflow to share with others and to be generous and gracious toward others. Friends, that's wisdom. That's beautiful. It's truth, and it works. And the only, thing is, the only question is whether we're going to trust God enough to put these practices in our life. I hope you do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for entrusting so much to us. Gifts, talents, time, money, family, blessing after blessing, the earth itself. We pray that you'll help us to be faithful. Help us when we get something to save it and when we need it to use it and then teach us to be generous so we can be more like you and bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.